You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show. Today on The James Altucher Show. Okay, back for perhaps the last time, two of my favorite guests. Maybe you've seen me on their podcast, or you've seen them online, or maybe you've seen their comedy. The History Hyenas, Chris Stefano and Giannis Pappas, have decided to end their podcast and I have to say, the episode with me in it was, I had such a fun time. I encourage people to listen to that. Jay, maybe we should air that one also. Oh yeah, for sure. Not only do they talk about, you know, why they decided to end, and it's always difficult to end things that are at a high point because I felt they were going strong and they were at a high point. It's always difficult to end uh, in those times, but they made their decision for some good reasons. And we also discuss what's happening in the world that made them such a success. This really is about peak performance. Like in a world where everything has basically gone crazy and there's no gatekeepers anymore in any industry, books, movies, podcasts, being an entrepreneur, there's fewer gatekeepers than ever. They give good advice for someone who wants to start off being a content creator. And it really applies to any industry. And of course, these guys are as funny as ever. So here's History Hyenas.
Yeah, let's do it. I just want to mention a friend of mine makes interesting glass sculptures or whatever. So I got as a gift for some friends, he made a, a he made the coronavirus molecule, uh, like a glass version of it. And so sent everybody, you know, this coronavirus molecule. And then immediately, like my kids all got coronavirus. So we suspect uh, maybe he had it on the on the glass. But well, you know what? Him, Amazon, Zoom, those are people with businesses that do not want this pandemic to end. But one business that did end, and this is Giannis Papas I'm talking to, one half of the History Hyenas has been on Formerly times, known right? as, like Prince, formerly known as the History Hyenas. Formerly. I'm wearing my History Hyenas t-shirt. It's a collector's item now. It's like having a, a GameStop t-shirt. So let me ask you a question, because you guys did such a great job. It's, it was one of the few podcasts I would listen to. Maybe I listened to three podcasts, four podcasts in total in my life. And History Hyenas, I was a regular listener to. It was hilarious. It covered history. It was educational. You guys had great rapport. So it's hard to it's hard to know when to end something. Like I've ended podcasts before, and it's a big decision because you have an audience. What did it look like? What when when did you first start thinking you'd end the the podcast? Well, we always knew that we were we were here for uh a good time, not a long time. We always said we were a podcast on the run and we're here for a good time, not a long time. So we thought it would be hilarious if after I did Rogan and our podcast jumped up as high as it could, we decided, you know what, let's end it on its peak. Let's go out on a bang. Let's get the people talking. And, and boy, have they. They are not happy with us, but we went out, we went out on top. We went out on top and it's hilarious. And just I'm not like happy. What am I going to listen to? <laughs> Well, you can go listen to reruns. You can listen to Hey Babe with Sal Valcano and Chris. You can listen to Yanni Long Days. You can listen to Chrissy Chaos. We're still on the internet. We haven't died. I mean, we're only here for another couple decades anyway. So, I mean, money money doesn't mean anything. You know that, James L. Tucci. How many times have you gone broke? Uh, I, I might be going broke right now. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, James. And you know what? I'm sorry I'm late, but you know what, James? Fuck you. I'm not doing anything for you anymore. You don't even text me back. No, well, I was okay. I, he just, I was just explaining. He was kidnapped. He was kidnapped by uh, Palestinians, and we finally were able to negotiate his release. Okay, so no, no, no. Here's what happened. Around mid-November, I got. I, I this hasn't happened to me in like 14 years. I got totally burnt out, and he I got kidnapped. What, what he means is he got kidnapped by Sean Donnelly for money because Sean Donnelly's out of work. So he knows if he kidnapped James L. Tucher, his sons would pay to ransom. And here he is back. And Sean Donnelly's a rich man moving to Austin. No, my kids would never pay the ransom. That, that's why that story <laughs> is wrong. But, but here's what happened. I, I don't know. I, I think maybe I got so much hate from the New York City is Dead article and a couple other things happened. And I just literally, like one day, I switched off and I stopped going on the internet completely. I don't even know where my phone is. <laughs> I just stopped everything and Good. to the great frustration of everybody I know, including my wife and kids, all I've been doing for three and a half months or maybe a little more now, I've been playing chess online for 15 hours a day, minimum 15 hours good. a day. That's all I've done. I don't know if it's so good. So I, 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 I went to therapists to figure out like, is there something I could do to stop doing this. Like I literally did nothing. I did no writing. I, I didn't go on social media. I haven't read, I have no idea what's in the news. I barely know who's president. 
Uh, I have not left my house. <laughs> and all I do is play chess, which is why, and Jay, audio engineer on here, has been getting me to get back into the podcasting so that we at least we have some podcasts to release. But I did get better at chess, though. So that there's that. But so I apologize. You- I haven't, I literally have not even emailed anybody, nobody. I haven't contacted anybody. So what do you, what do you say to those people who think that you and Jerry Seinfeld faked this whole thing and your people are behind coronavirus? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we could, we could be, you see, I'm a bad Jew. So we could, for all I know, the Jews could be behind coronavirus, but I have no idea because they don't tell me anything. Believe me. They don't like Jews who go broke pretty regularly. We're <laughs> we're kind of kicked out. I I I'm not allowed at Rosh Hashanah services. Like, there's no price I could pay that could get me in. No, are you service. broke again? You're not broke again. No, James, no, no. You're not broke again. No, 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 not at all. But it doesn't it doesn't help things when like literally I stopped everything. I stopped every activity I was doing. But but. A, I wanted to get back in, in touch and apologize. And I was even going to call you guys beforehand, but because of my 15 hour a day chess addiction, I did not give myself the free moment to, to call you guys to tell you before the podcast that I've just been burnt out. Well, I told Chris not to worry. I knew you were okay because I was still getting emails for my avails to do, uh, to do shows on the six train. So I knew that your club was no. still up in Romney. And I, I, was I, haven't told, I haven't talked to Donnie Zolden in four months. <laughs> yeah, well, your club has moved uh, inside of a train car. So this this is what happened when I yeah. left for a few months. And as long as you're still giving the five hundred, as long as you were still giving us the five hundred a month every month, we were like everything's fine. Yeah, as long <laughs> as long as that five hundred came in, and I did a couple of those sets. As long as I said somebody swiped me in and paid for my subway token, I was good. There you go. Did you yeah. do some of those sets? Were they good? I did. The spot pay was uh, was a swipe. That's so funny. Well, yeah. Stand Up New York is, is keeping in the news. So, yeah. so, uh, they are. What, so, okay, what are you guys up to? What's happening? What's going on with History Hyenas? I was just asking Giannis, why, why did it end? It's hard to end things. Yeah, I think, by the way, sorry I was late. I was doing a thing for Inked Magazine, which is a tattoo magazine. I have two tattoos. So I don't know. I mean, I got there and they thought I was somebody. They saw me. There's a thing, uh, a uh, Instagram account called like tattoos and shit or something like that. And they thought that it's like a thing that an account that puts fake tattoos on people and then posted Instagram. And they thought I had those tattoos. So I just wasted everybody's time for an hour. But, you know, so sorry. So that that's the thing I was in. But I don't know what Giannis or I came in at the end when Giannis was saying uh, we just want to end on top as the 277th ranked podcast on iTunes. And that's exactly what we did. And is that true? I always think. There's a good reason and a real reason. I feel like Giannis gave me a couple of good reasons, but it's very hard to get the real reason out of people. Like, like I have, you know, I have teenage I'll, daughters. Let and me just cut I you just, off real quick, that I, I, because say what you, keep what you were going to say, but I'll say if you want the real reason, it will be available on Patreon.com/slash Bay Ridge Boys, which is still up for one million dollars. <laughs> yes. Now I'm still considering the Tim Dillon episode. But I, I, do it. I, that will also cost you one million dollars. You should which hike is that about price what up. Timmy makes a month on Patreon. Yeah. So I mean, do you feel like okay? Well, I you're, I'm obviously not going to get the real reason out of you guys, but do you think that's true? There's a good reason and a real reason. Like like if, if one of my teenage daughters says, "Oh, Dad, I'm going to the library. I need to study." 
That's a good reason. But the real reason is there might be boys at the library. That's the real reason. And then you never get the real reason out of anybody. I think, right. I, I think, um, cause I mean, what the, the reasons are always, you know, they're always just a bunch of things that don't mean anything in a couple of years. I think things end that are meant to end and they were always inevitable. I'm not this person. I believe in fate. It's like certain things have energy that they're here for a short time. Certain things have energy that they're here for a long time. It's like when you're with certain girls, if you don't get to a certain age where, you know, if you start and the sex is really good, that relationship's not going to last. If you start with someone and it's a little boarding and it builds a little bit, that's the one that comfortable misery is the one you settle down with. So it's like, it's different vibes. Everyone knew the history hyenas was a chaotic, you know, kind of show from the beginning. It had that frantic energy. Hyenas don't live forever. We're not turtles. We're not turtles. We're hyenas. We got eaten out on the Serengeti. And that's just what happened. I mean, hyenas go down. We live fucking bold. We live quick. We're by any means necessary. We cackle and then we get our ears chewed off and we get we get hazed and killed by stronger more feminine, bigger pseudo-penis hyenas who take over the clan. And a couple bitches came in and they turned us into a female podcast. There will be a history hyenas too that will be done by Sam J and Amy Schumer. <laughs> Wait, so so do you feel like there were other podcasts you were competing with that, you know, were overwhelming to you or? Yes, the English cheetahs. <laughs> the social studies pumas. So what? So now you're going to do the long day podcast, which is just going to be you and Chrissy's going to do Chrissy Chaos and Sal and Chrissy. Correct. And hey, well, yeah, it's called Hey Babe with Sal. Yeah, with Sal and Chris. Hey Babe. And and, and then I got my Chrissy Chaos. Yeah, and then Yanni's doing Yanni long days. And we both have Patreons now, solo Patreons, but we also still have for five dollars a month Patreon.com slash Bay Ridge Boys to binge our old stuff. We're screwed in Jews just like you. <laughs> I always knew you guys were Jewish. Everybody says, nah, nah, they're not oh, yeah. Jewish. And I, I'm like, they're closet Jews. But uh, so so also you have the True TV show. What's that? That's called Backyard Bar Wars, which is just me hosting a show with two friends that are building bars in their backyard. So I got to go to L.A. for a couple of months and do it. And uh, yeah, dude, it's just fucking, a lot of the fans are just, you know, calling me a cuck and a sellout for True TV. And the beauty about social media is it doesn't exist when you don't look at the comments, you know? So it's just like, you know, a lot of the fans, a lot of the fans that are yelling at me about stuff, I took a look at their profile pics and I'm like, oh, they haven't made good decisions either. Yeah. Tell me about it. I, again, I'll, I'll, I'll bring this up. I promise for the last time, but this New York city is dead article. I probably had a million people tweet shit about me and yes if you look at the profiles of all these people they're a hundred percent losers <laughs> and right except for seinfeld who i think is not a loser right. <laughs> by the way I, I really enjoyed his book is this anything it was a great book about comedy you know seinfeld speaking of en the ending of history hyenas howard stern once asked uh seinfeld you were uh, he, he said you were offered a hundred million dollars to do a tenth season of Seinfeld because the public wanted to see a 10th season. Why didn't you do it for a hundred million? You turned down a hundred million dollars and Seinfeld told him, Howard, the, uh, that's the reason the public by definition is not in show business. So why would I want to do what they want me to do? I'm the show business guy. Right. They're not. So I want to do the opposite of what the public wants me to do. You know, and he's already made the right. money. So, and I thought that was a very inspiring thing. You have to keep to your artistic integrity. 
Yeah, he's spoken about that a few times. I really respect him for that. He, you know, he he pitched the show the way he wanted against what they wanted. He he got his friend Larry David in there. He he kind of he always he always said that. Like, you know, he anything he got hired for, he hated because it wasn't his. And so you got to give Jerry credit, man. I mean, that show was not meant to succeed. It was a mid-season replacement. Everyone thought it was going to be a failure. That's why they gave it a mid-season replacement. He hired Larry David, who was fired from SNL, was 40, living on his parents' couch, basically is the Georgia Costanza character. Not basically, is. And uh, did the show that he wanted about nothing. So when he pitched it, they were like, what are you talking about? And he, uh, so they picked it up because they loved him, and it became the best show in the history of TV. And then, of course, Larry David, who was a, you know, a fired writer from SNL, became this iconic comedian who had maybe the best cable comedy of all time. So I give Jerry credit for that, but I will say this. He's only done two specials, Jerry. So stop telling people to do their fucking time. It's not 1995. I'll do a three hour podcast. And that's what it is. It's not about being tight anymore. Grow up. You're a millionaire. You're disconnected. New York is over. (laughs) I'm team fucking El Tucher. And well, and, and, and by the way, uh, Andrew Schultz, who I Sorry, remember the I day after my show, <laughs> the day after my article came out, I had an hour long discussion with Andrew Schultz. He refused to believe that New York city was dead. And he kept going over every possible argument. And now he just moved to Miami. So yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't accept it. <laughs> he couldn't accept it. Cause he didn't get a chance to uh, colonize it yet. As he said. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens to him. But, uh, I don't think, and, and I want to segue into comedy and, and history hyenas again, but I don't think Jerry Seinfeld's show, I don't think Seinfeld was about nothing. And I see that there's this thread through his career that's very interesting, which is he actually is very meta interested in comedy. So Seinfeld was about, a, was the first of a genre of shows about a comedian developing material. That's really what the show was about. And then his book, Is This Anything? that just came out. It's a book about how he developed his routine since the seventies. So it's a most fascinating book I've seen about comedy. And then he did that documentary in like 2002 about, you know, the process of coming back as a comedian. So his whole entire, everything he was very successful at in his career was about the process of making comedy, which is interesting. And, uh, I think that's what people loved. And then it it became a genre on TV with like Louie and the Jim Gaffigan show and some other shows. And, Chris, I saw you mentioned officially uh, on one of the one of the shows that, oh no, it was in your it was in your video about uh, Soul Joel's that Jerry Seinfeld called you uh, last April. Yes, he called me last April and said some nice things, and then he told me I could text him bits, and he wanted me to text him bits and get together for coffee, and then every text I sent him has been left on on red since last April. So I really just, you know, I don't know what else to say because I'm just like, hey, I've sent them bits. I've said, let's get coffee. And the kid never wrote back. So, but it was a good call. And I have, I have proof that it happened. Jasmine filmed it. Well, it's not his fault. Uh, Jerry, Jerry is too busy saving New York. Yeah. Jerry was figuring out all sorts of, he was, he was bringing out uh, all this like depression level insults, like putts and schmuck. (laughs) and things like that to, to call me. He was, he was working on his material about me. So yeah, no, he's been out there hitting the streets, canvassing, supporting small business. I, I see Jerry out there. He's making sure single-handedly that there's only one to seven machete slashings a week. 
or yeah, or people thrown in front of subways, whatever. Yeah. But, well, and Giannis is thinking of moving, moving out of this city. What are you thinking of doing, Chris? You're gonna have to go to L.A. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go to L.A. for for three months, two, three months. But I'm not. I'm just gonna stay in New York. I'm just gonna stay. You know, in uh, I'll, I'll I'll go do that, and then I'm just come back to Brooklyn. I'm I, I I there was a part of me that was moving then gonna move to Long Island, looking at houses and stuff. But now I think I'll just wait it out. I'll just wait a little bit, stay in Brooklyn, do this thing I got to do in L.A., and then you know see what happens. But I'm not. I I love New York. I kind of and I think the price the house prices in new york are gonna have to drop right yeah you're the expert james yeah they're, they're they're already dropping they're, they're probably well it's hard because some areas of manhattan you just can't literally you can't sell there's no buyers and there's no renters right now so it's hard to value a nice apartment like students are and young people will are still moving in but i mean there's like a half a million people have left manhattan since in the past few months and the what makes that so problematic right james is that they're they're high income people right that's what yeah, makes high it problematic. income people it's it's I mean, New York City is is losing on property taxes because so many people have left. They're losing on sales taxes because there's no tourists. They're losing on income taxes because people are leaving. And, I, you know, then they're going to have to fire MTA work. You know, they're going to have to fire police, teachers. Uh, there's garbage all over the streets because they've already been firing garbage collectors. And then, that, and then, and then fewer people will want to move to the city because of it's like this death spiral down. Uh, you have less money less services, less people, and then more or less money. And I was saying to Giannis earlier, one out of four people in New York haven't paid rent since March, which means all the mom and pop landlords are are going broke. So we have to just wait and see. Like it'll eventually something good will happen, but it's they we don't really know yet the extent uh, to which things are bad at this point. It, it's still a wait and see. What about Bitcoin? I just bought Bitcoin. Was that stupid? I don't think so because I think... I mean, they, there's there's something like something like 19 trillion dollars has appeared on the planet since last March. Like, there's a new. There was previously 150 trillion dollars of currency on planet Earth, and now there's like almost 20 trillion more than that. So when there's so much money out there and so many dollars, there's a fear that there's going to be inflation, that the dollar will be worthless. It's like if you if you if you're if you're everything if you, if if there's too much of something, too much of a good thing, then chances are the value of it goes down. So, I think people are sort of breathing a sigh of relief that at the least at the very least they could hide their their money in Bitcoin and, and protect against potential inflation because Bitcoin won't suffer from inflation. So, I think don't I some people are betting the farm on Bitcoin. I would never do that, but if you think there's a 2% chance that Bitcoin at, will take over the world, then put 2% of your money in Bitcoin, which is roughly like what I do. So uh, we'll, Got it. we'll see. It's been doing well. But uh, what about Dogecoin? What about the other one? The other coin, Dogecoin, Dogecoin. Uh, well, that's a scam. I mean, it's not a scam. That's a fake okay. coin. Like that guy. So I know that guy. So in 2018, I was selling a Bitcoin related newsletter. Where I was explaining Bitcoin to people and making recommendations and so on. So a lot of people didn't like that I was doing this. And, and so, and it was one of these things where I was spending too much time on social media. So one Saturday night at like three in the morning, I said, if anyone has a problem with me, call me right now. And I put my number on Twitter <laughs> and he called the Dogecoin guy, the guy who started it, he called and I explained to him, this is why no one understands Bitcoin. So I'm writing a newsletter about it and I'm working at it. So I'm charging for it. And he's like, oh, okay, it's just your ads are a little bit spammy. And I said, yeah, because 
if I just said what I just said to you, nobody would buy it. I have to say, you have to say outrageous things to get people's attention. But he admits it's just, it's a fake coin. It's not a real coin. And he's making a, t he's making like a billion dollars on it now. So <laughs> crazy. All right. But, uh, so, so what else has been going on? Like how's, how's history? You had, you, you, you did Bernie Madoff. What, how's Bernie Madoff wild? I haven't watched any podcasts either. So I, I haven't done any preparation for this podcast. How, how's Bernie Madoff wild? I think Bernie Madoff was, uh, one of our funnest episodes. It was, yeah, I think it was the last full episode we did before, uh, we only, we have two more interview episodes, one with, uh, Ryan Long and then Carly Aquilino. And then we have our finale episode. Our finale episode was one of the funnest episodes we've ever done. We, we read off some of the, uh, the rest of our wild Patreon names and we really went out. I mean, people are going to love our finale. Uh, it was old school hyenas fun. And, uh, it, it was just one of our best episodes is the finale. So tune in for that. Bernie Madoff was wild is, uh, I mean, he, he deserved to get, not be put in prison for how good he was. I mean, how, he, people don't yeah. appreciate how long he was able to get away with convincing people. He was able to continue to make 1% while the market was crashing. I mean, and he was able to convince some of the richest people in the world to give him their money and and he, he made them want him so bad that they competed he created a whole illusion of exclusivity i mean hats off to his sociopathy i mean let's give this guy some fucking credit he is the michael jordan of thieves and we put him in a fucking cage the disrespect for someone who has a skill level that high has really been the beginning of the, of the down spiral that America is in because his whole country is a crime and he should be elevated, not put in a cage. And uh, that's my point, James. Uh, well, you could be right. You know, he says from prison, he can't understand why his investors aren't thanking him instead of trying to put him in prison. <laughs> I mean, do sociopaths ever admit or see their flaws? Give the guy some fucking credit. He's loyal to himself. And at did the I end ever, of the day, you're born alone, you die alone. He's a loyal guy. Did I ever tell you, I, I met him once uh, and I asked him for money because I was raising money for my own fund. And of course he was he was the biggest hedge fund in the world and was a, was a respected, famous hedge fund manager. And so I go up to meet him. I had a, a, a mutual friend. I go up to meet him. He gives me a tour of his, all his offices. And then we sit in his, in his office. He, he had a glass office in the center of the whole place. And he says, okay, so what can I do for you? And I said, I'm trying to raise some money. And he said, listen, James, I like you. You could come here and work here anytime you want. And you have a job, just ask, but I don't know where you invest your money. I don't know what you do with it. Like, and the last thing we need here at Bernard Madoff Securities is to see our name on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And so he, <laughs> so he did not, he did not give me money. And I literally, I walked out of his building. He was on in the lipstick building on 52nd street. And I walked out of his building and I was so depressed about it. Like, I said, how can I ever com compete with Bernie Madoff? He has got, he's got 60 of $60 billion hedge fund. He's got great yeah. returns. I'm I, so I literally started shutting down my business then on that rejection and, <laughs> and, pe and people were calling me as I was leaving and they were like, did you ask Bernie Madoff if we can invest in his fund? And I'm like, no, no, I didn't ask. I'm sorry. And then later all of those people denied 
asking me that, even though, like, why would I make that up? And then, I mean, and then how brilliant. And then a year or so ago, I called the jail that he's in, and I said, I want to have Bernie Madoff. I, I said, I know him. I want to have Bernie Madoff on my podcast. And so they sent a message to him. This guy wants you on his podcast. And he said, no. And I'm like, <laughs> this guy's always rejecting me somehow, <laughs> even from prison. Well, I love the fact that he was involved in the history's, in American history's biggest heist. And he made you feel like insecure about your investments and what you were doing and who you were. I mean, he was the ultimate con artist. He was the ultimate, uh, he, was, he was so good at putting, making people feel insecure and making himself so coveted. And it was just all, all distractions. He, he created so many distractions. It's like that old expression, like you always lose to the Yankees because you can't stop staring at the pinstripes. I mean, that's what he did. He did it to everybody. And it's just an amazing, that confidence really throws people. And you go, and the, and the amount of attention, this is what we learned from doing the episode. He would, he would call everyone on their birthdays. He would come to their funerals, their family's funerals. He was always available. He would go to their children's recitals. He, he made himself the least suspected person to do this. And that's why he was able to get away with it for so long. Everyone knows about the financial things he did, but the actual psychology of it was the most fascinating part for me because sociopaths always pretend to be the opposite of what they are. They don't show up, they don't show up and go, hey, I'm going to steal you of your money or else you wouldn't give them your money. So they pretend to be your best friend, the nicest people. They shower you with compliments and flattery. And that creates all these blind spots and people fall for it every time. And uh, those people are showmen and they, and the world is their stage and they're no different than magicians or mediums or comedians. We're all full of shit and he should be revered. Oh, you, you know what? You know what, James, too? One of my, um, one of my friend's uncles is the judge, Denny Chin, who gave Bernie Madoff like 150 years in prison. And he said that, it was even hard for him to give him all that jail time because he just liked him. He was like, I just liked him sitting there. It was just like he seemed like a nice guy. That's I mean, Hitler insane. Hitler was very well liked. I mean, he was very followed. Hitler was a vegetarian. He was a vegetarian. He was a dog lover. At one point, he was a child. Um, so the thing is, these people give the world such entertainment. They give us things to talk about. We know they're ultimately going down because they're just they chase their own tail because they're like the Joker. They don't know what to do with it. But while they're here, let's celebrate the journey. Yeah, I mean, those are the, the if you, you could argue, these are the most influential people in history. All yes. the, the, the heads of every religion, people like Hitler, Madoff, and I say influential in that they changed the course of history. Yes. And, uh, you know, for, for, for mostly for worse. But uh, <laughs> they're funner, but it gives us something to talk about. I mean, nobody talks about Clara Barton. How great and brave. A, she used to pull people off the battlefield, talking history, I ain't shit. That bitch would single-handedly go out there on her own and fucking pull injured soldiers with blown off legs off the battlefield and tend to them right there. She's founded the Red Cross. Nobody gives a shit about that bitch you know, because she was boring. But you know what, though? You just made me think, like, when you first said Clara Barton, I had no idea who you were talking about. Right. And... And I didn't even know we did an episode on her. We yeah, did it. We did it. 
Well, oh, so yeah. I, She's I, too I, fucking boring. What are we going to talk about? Oh, she was a good person. She helped people. No, let's talk about the biggest heist in American history. People want to watch Goodfellas. They, wanna, they don't want to watch a fucking church documentary. Let's get real. But I, I feel like there's going to be a hole in the podcast universe now. Basically, there's, you know, there's hardcore history that Dan Carlin does, which is a brilliant history podcast. And there's some other history podcasts. But there's not going to be a, a funny energetic what are you podcast. talking about dude girls gotta eat are still up and running <laughs> i don't i don't know that one i'll have to check that out they all our fans who like history hyenas will love that it's the same fucking good time all right i'll check that out i have to say Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side-by-side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he, was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. 
immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Now, let me ask you this. You guys were so funny on the podcast. It made me think about what's the difference between stand-up and just, you guys were just insanely funny, like just riffing on your podcast. And I know uh, my guess is you've made attempts or you, or you are transforming some of the things you said on the podcast into your, your material, but mater- stand-up material feel, feels so different than kind of the energy and humor you guys were using on, on the podcast. Like when you do stand-up, both, both of you, do you, do you just keep using the same material or have you been able to kind of incorporate this other stuff, this new stuff into your standup? I've been going back on the road. I've had some dates, have some dates coming up. And I got to be honest, it just feels like you just are doing the podcast still, but live. That's what it feels like. And, you know, like, that's just how I felt. Like, I was like, oh, they, it's all podcast fans. So it's almost like, yeah, you have your material and stuff. Sure. But they, a lot of them have heard it already. They've heard everything you've said because they listen to hours and hours of you a week. So I think for me, at least it's been like, you know, I'm doing like more long form telling stories and stuff on doing my stand up. but it's like some of the old bits that I have, I still do them. And it's almost like, uh, you know, like when you sell tickets now, it's like the people are there for you. So it's almost like uh, easier, not easier, but they laugh at a lot more shit. They laugh at even your cadence, you know? Yeah. So like, what's, what's an example where, you you're just telling a story from the podcast or a story from history on stage, as opposed to just a canned piece of material that you've done a thousand times before. Like all this stuff that we would say about like, you know, like the Chinese virus and stuff like that. We, we I just do that on stage. I just yell about, you know, the Chinese virus on stage now. And it's, it's turned into a bit, but we first started talking about it on the podcast. And so do you go onto the stage with a plan or do you figure you're going to riff and see how, where the, which direction the audience is leaning? I always know where I'm going to start and I'm going to end in the middle. It's whatever happens, happens, but I always, I always at least have to, well, how I'm going to begin and how I'm going to end is always, I have a very 
good idea of what those two bits will be. You said something to me very interesting once, which is that you go on the stage and you and I forgot exactly how you said it, but you said your your first job is you're going to try to charm the audience. Uh, you used the word charm, which was an interesting word, and then and then you'll kind of decide when to break into material and when to just keep playing with the audience and so on. Yeah, I I think for me, like I always think about stand up. Like, of course, it's very, very, very important to be funny. Of course, you can't you know be a good stand up and not be funny. But I think likability is probably the most important thing in live performance because it's just like you know if you're unlikable, it's just like your jokes can be as funny, but they're never going to hit. Like people with likability get away with being less funny. You know, that's always how I. That's what I thought. I um Colin Quinn told me that in 2010. And and Giannis, have you been you've been you've done some stand up as well lately? Have you been kind of taking material more from the podcast or your old material or what have you been doing? Yeah, nothing from the podcast. I've only done stand up six times in the year. And uh, what I'm generally noticing is much like when cable TV came in and disrupted what people's idea of stand up comedy was from late night sets, which was their only frame of reference before cable television. I almost feel like the internet is doing the same thing and podcasts are doing the same thing that cable TV did to the late night set when, you know, Def Comedy Jam came, Comedy Central. Now we've had this most recent incarnation, again, brought to you by technology um, that has sort of broken another wall down and, and gotten fans to know, like Chris said, uh, their their favorite comedians cadence. They listen to them for an hour, two hours a week, three hours a week. They get to know everything about them. So they sort of be, have become fans of the band or a person as a band, the way, you know, Kings Leon fans used to follow them. It's not like, Oh, let me go to a comedy club and see who's funny. That feels more disingenuous now. Um, when previously, previously it didn't because there was no other frame of reference, nothing to compare it to. Now it feels more disingenuous because it's inorganic. They didn't find you on their own. You weren't recommended to them through a friend. There's not that thrill of discovery. There's not that intimate knowledge of the person's perspective and cadence and takes on things. So I think comedy was going through a change before the pandemic. And I think the pandemic has accelerated that change where fans have fallen even more in love and become more dependent on the comedians. We get messages all the time. Hey, I've done three tours of duty in Iraq. You guys got me through PTSD that was triggered from this pandemic. You guys got me through me losing my job and stuff like that. So it's a mixture between like morning radio, stand-up comedy, sketch comedy, personal stuff. It's a new incarnation that you can't compare it to. It's not morning radio. It's not, you know, it's this thing where they fall in love with you, your story, your humor, your take, and they want to hear it. And they want to hear it every week and they follow you like a band and everything else. Although mo many people refuse to acknowledge it yet is irrelevant. It's a thing of the past. It won't be written about in history because it's been done. And this new thing has come. And much like new things, people have a hard time adapting to new things. And most people don't. I mean, uh, you know, evolutionary theory of Darwinism is not the strongest survive. It's the ones who adapt to change the best. And if you deny that change, you will die because it's not going backwards. Right. Because you look at like not only the fastest rising comedians right now, but the fastest rising podcasts. I would say there's you guys, there's Tim Dillon, 
There's not Andrew us Schultz. anymore. Yeah, <laughs> not you individually. Anymore, yeah. You individually. Tim Dillon, Andrew Schultz, and uh, you know, right from the beginning, I was on Ryan Long's train that I I thought he was going to be brilliant, and his his boys cast or whatever he calls his podcast is is great. His sketches are great. His comedy's uh, super great. And uh, you guys are like the 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 this generation's. It seems like fastest rising comedians, podcasters, whatever. Well, I'll, I'll even uh, explain to you. I, I, I experienced these moments where these two eras clash. It's like when we had Bill Burr on our podcast, and, and I love Bill to death. I, he's one of my favorite comics. I like him and as a person. And he trashed you. Per, he was merciless. And I'll explain to you why. Bill, Bill comes from an era where, much like that scene in Batman with the Joker, you had, you know, where the Joker breaks the stick and says, we only have two spots. You guys fight it out. Bill comes from an era where there was gatekeepers and you had to really sharpen your wit to get a spot at the cellar or Caroline's to get one of the few half hours that were handed out, one of the few weekend sets at a club, one of the few half hours Comedy Central was handing out. So these guys would sit at a table and really sharpen their wit and test each other, much like soldiers when they're bored, you know, like old Spartans would wrestle and fight and play fight. And just like animals do, because they live in a harsh terrain, so they got to keep their chops sharp. That era is over. Comedians are not competing with each other anymore. Getting something means nothing. It's irrelevant. People don't care because they didn't discover you organically. They're not in love with you. So um, now what is advantageous to the comedian is to get on another comedian's podcast. Share your fans. That's what the internet kids do well. Tag each other in videos. There's enough room for everybody. They're, these are two diametrically opposed perspectives. And so what Bill was doing was typical of his generation. You got to be tougher. You got to fucking haze these people. You know, you got to you, you gotta be, it was just like competition. So he was treating me like competition in a friendly way with a wink. But that era is over. That table is irrelevant. It's, it's from a time where the business was different, where you had to impress an SD or uh, somebody nowadays you look at the people who are the biggest or the most relevant let's be honest like you said they're people who have an organic following that just keep growing by going on other other podcasts by having their show organically recommended through friend and friend so it's two errors that are not the same one is still hanging around because of course you can't teach an old dog new tricks although you try but you'll see that those comics will get a little bitter a little hostile towards change as they always will because you know, it's their, their raison d'etre is being threatened. Yeah, and it's interesting because you look at every, this is happening in every single industry. There's no, there's no reason, for instance, to even go on stage at a club. Maybe 100 people see you, maybe 200, maybe 300, who knows. But when you do a podcast, if it's a funny, good podcast, you're going to have somewhere between 40,000 and 200,000 people or more, in Joe Rogan's case, much more, listen in some form or other, whether it's through iTunes or on YouTube or whatever, people are going to, uh, so, uh, such a bigger, so much bigger audience. It almost doesn't make sense to spend eight hours a night doing uh, club comedy. Although, you know, that's a specific kind of, uh, skill set too. That's important. But you know, after so much, I don't know if it's, if it's relevant to do, I don't know. And, and the other thing is doing Netflix specials. This is to your point of the gatekeepers. I don't know anybody who watches comedy specials on Netflix. Yeah, no, it's it's no. it's the last person who probably blew up from it was Ali Wong, Nate Bargatze. Uh, everyone John else Laney, is already maybe. famous. Yeah. Or like 
or they fill some sort of diversity checkbox where, uh, you know, which for them, that's what they have left is sort of, you know, comedy is a making history. And you see that in all, in all, you see it in politics, you see it in uh, entertainment. You have to make history in some way. This is the first transgendered a Fisher uh, assistant health uh, advisor to the president. This is the most diverse cabinet. In his. It's like everything's about making history. It's not really about being funny. That's, that train has left the station. So the people, I think, are forced to go online to find, to actually make themselves laugh because that stuff on TV feels canned because there's only so much you can say. And that's antithetical to what comedy is. I mean, the class clown was funny not because he said what the teacher wanted. He was funny because he said the wrong thing at the wrong time or the right time, depending on how you, how you want to look at it or phrase it. So, you know, there's an agenda on television. You represent corporations and advertisers, and they don't want to have their dollar threatened by anything you say. So people, there's a real void that's filled online where people who are going through, through you know, normal people want to laugh as therapy. And they're not going to find that um, uh, in abundance on television anymore. So, Chris, why why True TV? Because I'll, I'm gonna, I don't know the full ratings of True TV because those ratings are so low they don't even publish the ratings. Your podcast probably got ten times as many views as every show on True TV. Right. So the question really is: Does TV still have that allure because it's television? Because it feels like a big deal to do a TV show. The reason why, the only reason why I said yes to the True TV show is because it would be in LA. I, you know, a lot of podcasters have left. So that, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, fuck, but there's still a lot of big podcasts in LA. So I could go on a lot of the LA podcasts. It's really good money for, you know, first time shows. So it's like money's money, you know, it's, and then I, you know, have the podcast with Sal. And if, if, you know, with Impractical Jokers, nobody's more famous from TV than them. So I was told, you know, that True TV, like, we'll try to position it in a lead in with the Brackle Jokers. And maybe that works. Maybe that doesn't. But they also I also want to do it because the whole TV show is sponsored by Miller Lite. So, you know, my team, you know, my agent kind of felt like, hey, might as well take a chance. You can potentially be like a spokesperson for a Miller Lite thing. And all the while, never giving up podcasting. I'll I'll do twice as much podcasts and internet stuff and never like changing anything. So I think that's one of the, I think like you can do both. You can do it all. Like, you know, I'd rather have it where it's like, if you shut me down one place, I got you, wherever you look, you'll see me kind of thing, you know? So that's why I did it. I understand when people say why they don't want to do it. And I get it all. I understand it all. And, you know, as you was mentioning the Andrew Schultz, the Tim Dillons, I mean, they're doing, they're extremely successful without television. You can't even deny it. But I'm not trading one for the other. I'm just doing both. Yeah, and you know? I, I like the idea of diversifying opportunity and diversifying old school, new school, because even being an, it, when someone says, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm not necessarily impressed or anything because that's still just one job. It's not really safe or, and it's not really a pathway to success. It's the path. The real pathway I think is, is diversifying your opportunities so you could handle more risk because one could fail, as you say, and, and the others could succeed. And uh, you're giving yourself more chances for success, in fact. And it's just more interesting that way instead of just doing one thing. Yeah. 
Like people were tweeting at me, oh, True TV, you're going to get canceled. I'm going to try to cancel you. I'm like, good, cancel the show. It'll make my Patreon go through the roof. I don't fucking care. Like, you know, like, well, I'm, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, you don't want to go through stuff. Of course, nobody wants to feel bad about their work and shit. But it's like, I look at the opportunities like, yeah, dude, I, I know how, how important podcasting and the internet is. I'm not stopping. I put out content every other day and podcast episodes all the time. And what Giannis and I did with hyenas, I would never trade one for the other. I just believe there's enough hours in the day to do both. And you no, know, he's you right. Know. It's great to diversify opportunities. It is great. And uh, yeah, I mean, as comedians, we just all, we, we have this thing now where it's like, I don't know why it's not right that they come after us, but they do. I mean, they just come after us. Like we're like, we have any importance and it's just, it's an unfortunate thing that like whatever, whenever a comedian starts climbing up, they just, these fucking people from the internet, which is ironic because that's where you're a little more free. They come after you and try to dig something up. You know, I, I don't even know if Kevin Hart could have a career now if he got caught saying what he said and had to get fired from the Oscars. You know, they come after all of us. I mean, they've, they've come after me. I'm just not big enough for anyone to care. And that's the only thing that really protects you is not being big enough to care. And then as you see with this country singer they just got, they got him drunk on the street. His career's over. He said, uh, you know, he was saying that word. He's over. It's just like, it's just done. They get you and then it's just, it's a minefield out there of these trolls because I just don't think there's a lot of jobs and everyone wants to be relevant. So it's like, it's scary. There's all these piranhas out there. So you, you said earlier, like implying that in, if you want to have a successful podcast or, and this is really true for a successful career in anything, you need to be able to say something new. You can't just copy everybody who's come before you. You need to have like a unique voice and a unique perspective, whether it's whether you're a salesperson, a marketing manager, a podcaster, a comedian, a writer, what would you say to someone who's young today and thinking of starting a podcast? Like, how could they start? Move to China. Move to China and surrender. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that is, maybe that can be developed into a podcast. Like, just imagine every episode as they try to surrender to a different person in China. <laughs> so while they're, and they're always applying to like Wuhan University to be a student there so they could learn how to do what the Wuhan people did. I, I approach yeah. I approach Chinese people in the street like this now, and I just go <laughs> like this. First, I ask, "Are you Chinese?" Because you got it. You know, I don't want to walk up to a Korean or Japanese, and they're like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "So I that happened organically where I had to ask." So I go, "Are you Chinese?" And then I just do this, and uh, a few of them have put cuffs on me. Well, see, they're 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 already here. They're already yeah. ready for you. Yeah, it's so, over. So, what would you say to someone who's brand new, starting a podcast, and doesn't have a clue? I would say the same thing when it comes to a TV show thing, whatever your idea is, if you're having fun doing it, if it works, that's a, that's a thing that'll happen probably once or twice, depending on how talented you are, what, how diverse your talent is. It will only happen one, like, look, look at Seinfeld. If it wasn't for his show, he'd be just, he'd be Brian Regan or something. Still make tons of money on the road and corporate gigs, but he wouldn't be the icon he is. It happens once or twice or three times tops in your life. So whatever feels the best organically and people respond to the best, keep doing that because but, you're lucky to have it. But it's not just talent, right? Both you guys have spent a lot of time and effort developing your skill. And in the podcast, you developed a skill, which is uh, a combination of you know, having a particular approach to history, uh, you know, looking at history in an alternative way, and then making it funny and hilarious. Like this was, this was not just talent. There was a skills that you developed 
how could someone go about thinking about those skills? What are do it? Do it just no like stand up. No just do teaching, it. No one's teaching the latest and greatest because no, no one because by definition it's the frontier of podcasting or comedy or whatever. What did you guys do to develop skills? Uh, and I pre, I I understand you said do it, but how did you know if you were good or bad? Like how do you get feedback? How do you work on the parts where you're weakest? I think I I personally think like really like Yana said they're really you only especially with any type of comedy any form of comedy you just have to throw yourself into the fire and fail a lot and I think through failing you see what works and if you're naturally funny then you don't really have to try to be funny that's that's the thing with comedy at least is I I think you either kind of have it or you don't so you know people will bang their heads against the wall and why isn't this working well, there's a business part of it don't get me wrong there's a huge business part of it but it's like you know, with podcasting or stand up, I kind of just feel like, hey, man, like you keep failing, figure out what doesn't work. But if you're naturally funny, then you'll eventually figure out the things that really work for you and work for your show. And you keep going. And I think for a podcaster, somebody brand new, I would go after a niche audience. I would make your thing as specific as possible to not get caught in the web of people just talking about nothing. Be very, 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 very niche. Like even if people like what? There's no audience for a podcast just talking about guitar strings or whatever. It's like, do that podcast because you'll find the 5,000 people in the world that love that shit and love talking about that stuff. And if you can get them to give you $10 a month for extra bonus content on Patreon, you, you'll be a, you'll make yourself a millionaire. So what's your what you're doing three new podcasts between the two of you. What What's your new podcast about? My I have one podcast. You can find me long days with Yanni. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, you know, me, me, uh, examining sort of the trending stuff, going on my rants, giving you my perspective. Uh, I got patreon.com slash Yanni long days where I give a bonus episode a week. Also all my characters, all, all that stuff's going behind the pay paywall. If you're an old school, Marisa fan, Mr. Panos fan, any of my new characters, Derek, uh, Luke St. Simon, um, and, uh, Sean Terry, all those videos I'm going to be shooting. Uh, I'm doing them all behind a paywall um, uh, at Patreon. And uh, that's what it is, a mixture of character, stream of consciousness. And just, uh, it's cool because um, uh, I'm, I'm working with my old buddy, Jesse Scatoro, who I had a, a, a initially started a production company. We were about 10 years too early, more than that, uh, actually. And we had a studio and everything. And so he does a lot of changing of the green screen and tells the story as I talk. Whatever topics come up, the green screen kind of changes and uh, he handles all that. So it's just a fun, it's a fun podcast. And I hope people check it out. And Chris, what's your, what's your two ones about? So mine, so one, I have Hey Babe with Sal Volcano, which uh, comes out every Thursday, 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern time. And that's just me and Sal just being silly and telling stories and, and being fun. And uh, just, you know, it's just really Sal's and I, I guess our friendship on display it's kind of just like really like an hour of like just forget about whatever's going on in your life kind of shit like forget about you know the pandemic we'll never talk about any anything in the news like, like it's just literally storytelling with with sal and i and then chrissy chaos which just started it's going to come out every tuesday at 11 a.m is actually it's me talking with homeless pimp who would used to be the producer of his hyenas is doing it with me and he's off camera and him and i just kind of talking i kind of quote i i talk to him when when i can um or or like you know when when we find uh it interesting well like he'll he'll get on mic but mainly it's 
it's a couple, it's segments. I'm doing one, the first segment in my podcast is called Anxiety Tuesday, where I just talk about mental health and what things I'm doing in mental health and what I think, you know, for the week, like a mental health tip and break it down, all comedy. Then the second segment is about history. It's called Christory Stefano, where I tell you something about history that I've learned or, you know, 15 minute little mini segment of what I like about history. And then the third segment is the 48 Laws of Power, where for the next 48 episodes, I'll just talk about a chapter from the book, The 48 Laws of Power. And then and then at the end, I just fucking, you know, have some kind of stupid sign off. You should, um, you should, by the way, not only an excellent book, The 48 Laws of Power and so much history in it, like every page is like an entire semester of history. But Robert Greene's an excellent podcast guest. You should get Robert Greene on your uh, yeah. podcast. I was thinking if it's successful after like the 10th episode, maybe or 15th episode, if, if, it, if it all works, I'd, I'd ask, I'd have him on. I'm going to call. I would text you to have him on, but you don't fucking text me back. No, no, I'm, I'm back. I'm out of my burnout. I think I'm crossing my fingers. Jay doesn't believe me, but, um, and my wife doesn't believe me, but so um, what happened? Did you have like a real, you had like a real breakdown? What happened? No, I just, I just stopped doing anything. I literally would wake up and go to my office in the morning. And I would say to myself, okay, I'm going to write something today because I haven't written anything since November. And then I'd say, oh, I'm going to play a game online of chess first. And this would be like at seven in the morning. The next thing I know, it'd be 10 p.m. at night and I'm still playing online chess. And that's happened every single day. Is that the good the reason or the real reason? That is that is the real that is the real thing I'm doing. I, I actually don't know the reason why I'm doing it. I think it just started and I just haven't been able to, to stop. But... James, you got divorced and we know you got divorced. No, no, but my, I, I, I'm sure she's probably considering it because she'll say, hey, can we go out to dinner tonight? And I'll say, sure, I'll be ready in like five minutes. And then four hours later, I'm still playing chess online. And I play these like just one minute games where it's just me and the other person around the world. Is, uh, we're play we have one minute each and then we, and then we lose. But uh We'll see. I've been trying to, I've been trying to limit myself lately and get back into doing this. So, so we'll see what happens. Wait, listen, I love, I love everybody on here. I got to go. Thank you guys. Thanks for having right, me. I'm guys, sorry. I was late. No problem. And, and for everybody listening, check out Chris and Yanni's new podcasts, Yanni long days, Chrissy chaos, uh, and Hey babe with Chris and Sal. So that's I'm it. Sure they're going to be great. I'm looking forward to them. Good luck you guys. All right. Thanks James. Talk to you later. Thanks James. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.